Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever the Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Good morning and welcome to the Mean at the Mint podcast. I am Evan James. It is September 16th. It's 7.30. It's a beautiful, crisp fall morning. And as always on the weekend, I am joined by my co-hosts, Anders Jorstad and Zach Mason. And the Mariners lost last night the first of a three-game stretch at home against Los Angeles Dodgers 6-3. to And, uh, you know, a disappointing result given where we're at in the season and how critical everything is. But I do think there are a couple of bright spots to point out. Two hits from Jared. Um, an, an imperfect but reasonable start from Kirby, all things considered. And, you know, I was talking to Zach before we got on the podcast that it feels to me like when I look at this game and kind of the way the Mariners have played lately, the great era of the 2023 bullpen being just a gridlock and a sure thing not to give up runs feels like it's over. Would you say that that's true, Zach? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, it's, it's less deep, you know, it's, it's less of a like one through eight are all going to perform sort of situation. And even at the top, people are coming back down to earth a little bit. I mean, Munoz is having like actual struggles and we can like cabin that, but even like Gabe Spire, Justin Topa, you know, these are guys who were, I think they're, I think they're good. I think the Mariners found some talent and got, have figured out how to use, figure out how to help them use their skills to their maximum potential. But I think they were playing over their heads a little bit for a good chunk of the season. And I think at this point, like they remain good to very good relievers, but are not, um, you know, elite, which is how they had been performing. So I, I don't think that last night's game is is an aberration in that respect that Spire gave up a run and Topa gave up um, a run or two earlier this this week with, with the home runs. So, yeah, I mean, last night was, was disappointing that it was so close for so long and then it sort of felt like it was not going to be close. Um, I don't know. It, it was hard because I think George Kirby actually looked very good. Um in the first inning, those two walks, um, you know, one of them was a walk on a pitch that was actually in the strike zone, and that happens from time to time. But, like, even outside of that, all of his misses in those two plate appearances were good misses. They were very close. They were what he was trying to do. He just couldn't get a swing out of it or couldn't get it, like, just a, a millimeter closer so that it would click the edge. It's just that the Dodgers are that good, you know, like, Mookie Betts is not going to chase when it's a millimeter outside of the strike zone. And that's, I think, more a testament to what how good Mookie Betts is than anything George Kirby did wrong. And then 
the home run he gave up was also on a pitch outside of the strike zone. I honestly don't know how Miguel Rojas hit that. And to hit it out of the stadium was just preposterous. That Once again, I think that is not something you want to blame George Kirby for. But what I find really disheartening about last night's game is that when it was ending, I sort of had this feeling of like, but I don't care that George Kirby looked good. I don't care that Jared got a couple of hits. Like, we're just so far past the point in the season where an encouraging performance or the guys looking pretty good against very good competition is meaningful. Like, all that matters at this point is winning. They just have to put yeah. up the win. That's the kind of thing we tell ourselves in like a 90 loss season. It's like, oh, well, Kirby looked really good. And and I think that that almost is kind of meaningless because Kirby can look good in a random game in, in August in a losing season and then be terrible the whole next year, you know? So I I almost, you know, I, I do think that, you know, to Zach's point, it wasn't totally his fault. But I've been thinking about the last week when I watch Mariners games, kind of framing it around what we talked about when answering the question of like, if the Mariners make miss the playoffs, it's because of this. And if they win the division, it's because of this. And I, and we said, you know, if they win the division, it's because the big three look like the Cy Young contenders they are or were. And if they miss the playoffs, it's because the bullpen blew it. And I feel like that that was the story in the majority of wins and losses that we saw this last week. Like Castillo looked like a Cy Young version of himself in that last game against Anaheim. Yesterday, the, bl- the bullpen kind of blew it. Um, but honestly, you know, the offense has just looked really flat, too, outside of Julio continuing to be Julio. Um, it feels like the offense has fallen back to, like, pre-August levels, which we probably should have expected, but that just means they're going to be playing 500 baseball again. And I feel like we can't afford to be doing that in these next couple weeks. You know, if they want to play like this and, and they want to split the series against Oakland and the Dodgers, whether they, you know, go three and three somehow against those two that I think that's fine. I don't think they can afford to be doing that in the last week and a half against Texas and, and Houston. I think they need to be better than that. I think the offense needs to be better than that. Um, because I think at this point we've kind of reached a sort of equilibrium with the pitching where we kind of know what to expect with them. Um, they're not going to be, at least it seems like the, you know, the Cy Young world beaters and, you know, how we talked about, oh my God, there's, you know, there's not a bad day to watch a starter. I don't think that that's the case anymore. I think that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of anxious during Brian Wu start days. I'm even more anxious right now during Bryce Miller start days, frankly. And I'm not like confident going into a Luis Castillo, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert start day that, that we're like, we're going to win this freaking game where I felt like for a while. So I really do think it's on the offense and the non-Julio offensive contributor specifically to kind of get back into gear and put this team back into a position where they can win clutch games down the stretch. And I'm talking specifically about like Teoscar Hernandez has cooled off significantly after his, his like amazing August and pretty good start to September. Um, Suarez had a homer yesterday, but I feel like he's been lighter recently. Raleigh has cooled off a little bit, although he's, you know, he still has been hitting homers at a fairly good clip. Um, but Jared really needs to really needs to turn on the jets too, because he was supposed to be an injection in this offense to replace Marlowe. And, you know, he did have two hits yesterday, but I, you know, I, I really need him to kind of get back to his early season form if he's to help this team push to the playoffs. What do you guys think about that kind of framing of where we are right now? I think Jared is definitely critical. I, I want to offer some additional framing before I kick it back to Zam, which is that if you include yesterday, the Mariners had 16 games left in the season. That's about as close to a 10% slice of the season as you can get realistically. And I remember the first podcast we had when we were talking about the Mariners having played 16 games of this season and where we were at with Jared and where we were at with Julio struggling and kind of Teoscar wasn't hitting at that point. We still had Colton Wong on the team and whether or not Cooper Hummel was going to get any more plate appearances that month. Like so much has changed, obviously, and the state of this team is very different. So, Zach, same question that Durs asked, um, you know, how critical is Jared who needs to step up? But also, like, how do you view this team differently 90 percent of the way through the season than we did 10 percent of the way through in your expectations? 
We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one. With your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I, I think I agree that the pitching is not quite as locked down as it was is a huge deal. And, you know, that sort of pitching can carry an average offense but if the pitching gets a little bit worse then the hitting needs to get a little bit better and the hitting hasn't gotten a little bit better in september the team wrc plus is 102 and if the pitching is going to be not you know refusing to give up a run out of principle then the offense needs to be like a 108 sort of offense and and they haven't been um Julio's been amazing. Uh, Cal's been amazing. I know he has looked bad when he's been striking out, but Cal strikeouts just like they look bad visually. That's a that's a fair point. But they're not actually like I mean, in September he's striking out twenty two percent of the time. That's extremely manageable manageable with Cal's profile. Um, his his slash line is two ninety two three seventy four seventy nine over the month of September. Like he's actually been fine. It's just that it, when Cal fails, it looks really bad. Um, but yeah, so Julio's been good. Cal's been good. Teoscar has been above average, but not like he was in August. And then everybody else has been struggling. JP's been just an average hitter when he spent most of the season as the team's best hitter. Ty France has cooled off after a good August. Suarez cooled off after a good August. And then the bottom of the lineup is like where I think the real problem is. Um, and I don't want to like harp on, you know, too many guys with specifics, but when the top of the order is okay, it, it covers a lot of sins, but the top of the order has, uh, when the top of the order is good, it covers a lot of sins, but the top of the order has only been okay. And the bottom of the order needs to be okay rather than worse than that. Well, you know, and I know you didn't want to call out specific names. I think the problem is the youth at the bottom of the lineup um, specifically because I feel like the... I, I disagree, actually. Oh, interesting. I feel like the natural unsteadiness of the, the contributions you're going to get from young players because they're going to go through these fluctuations of like high highs and low lows when you know pitching figures them out, it's a little bit different than like if you had a veteran down there who has kind of gone through those ups and downs. Whereas, okay, we'll call it names like Canzone, I think, is going through some some struggles and I think that's fine if it's happening in like June where he's like trying to figure out how to adjust to pitching. It's a little bit less okay in September when we need them to be contributing. That's exactly the thing. I don't even want to talk about the thing I disagreed with you about because that's exactly the point. (laughs) It's okay in June, but the Mariners have given themselves essentially no margin for error. And that's the problem. Like, yes. and it's like you were talking about with the Brian Wu starts and the Brian, Bryce Miller starts. Like, the reason that we were excited about them in July is because they were good and exciting, of course. But it was really more that, like, if it didn't work out, we were a little bit more emotionally checked out from the idea of making the playoffs. And so if they struggled, it was still like, well, it's exciting to see what they're going to do today, even if it's not like, oh, I'm expecting a perfect game today. Now, um, we need we need better than that. And that's the problem. Evan, can I can I get to a question real quick? To uh, absolutely to talk. Okay, because I think we're kind of we're kind of on it right now. And I was going to tie uh, it into the Brian question about letting one get away. If that's what you're going for. 
Oh, I was gonna tag. I was gonna tag it into this other question, which is when the Mariners don't make the playoffs. What's the one game that you'll point to and say, "Well, that's what we should have had." Is it the Brian question you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's okay. the one I was talking about, and I actually Love have a question. very specific answer to it. I think that um, the six to seven loss to Cincinnati really sticks out to me because that was do or die time, and that team is not better than us, and we did not play our best baseball that series. And I also think that uh, the single digit loss to the Mets in the prior series. Those two, to me, are like the rest of the year, we had a lot of stuff to figure out. But that was very much after the team had already made the turn and was already kind of in their new, okay, we're going to the playoffs. You know, we're out in front of the AL West mode and they couldn't do it. And if they ultimately don't make it, I think I will look back on that as the first sign that they were really out of gas and they have continued to look out of gas ever since then. That has not dissipated. And I think that the anxiety some of us are feeling right now about the team's precarious position is that they look like the team they were in May is what I would say right now, more than the team that they were in August or June or July even. And that team was not a playoff team. So I'm a little nervous about it. How do you guys think of that? To, to me, there's three games that are all in a row. And I think you could pick any one of them. And that was after their first win streak. They had those three games. They lost two to the Orioles and one to Kansas City. And I think that any one of those three games was like extremely winnable. The first one was the extra innings loss where Kirby threw it like nine innings without giving up a run. They lost one nothing in extras. The second one was the Cedric Mullins uh, robbing the homer from Julio. And then the next one from Canzone would have been the walk off if that one hadn't been robbed. And then the third one was the one where they were up, what, like 6-1, 5-1 to Kansas City, and they just blew it. Um, I think that if they'd won any of those games, you know, that would have been like the one they should have had. I like both of your answers. I, I had not thought about any of the games that you mentioned, Evan, but I think those are smart picks because you're describing them as like, this was the canary in the coal mine, right? Like, this is... This road, this last road trip is when they went from like, oh, they're going to make the playoffs to like, boy, you know, really hoping they make the playoffs. And yeah, so those, the leverage of those games and what they signified for the season, I think are, are smart choices. I thought also about all three games that you said, Durs, those are, each one of those was so winnable and it was so painful to have them all come in a row. And it sort of compounded the fact that it just went over and over and over again. Um and they almost lost the fourth one because the next they one did. was when they came say, back yeah. against Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, no, I think the people were hitting the panic button, I, myself very much included, uh, during that game. Um, another game I thought of that is not my pick was uh, when they had won two of three against the Marlins and then Suarez hit what would have been a home run that got robbed in the bottom of the ninth that would have been a walk-off home run but instead ended the game. Um, that one was pretty painful because that felt like a game we, we should have won. And I think it was another very good pitching performance. I'm very um, curious but, if the Mariners have had more homers robbed from them than any other team. I don't even know that's a stat you can track. I was talking about this earlier. It does feel like they've gotten way more than their share of home run robberies this year. Cause there's, there's that yeah, one from Suarez. Uh, Julio had a home run robbed in Baltimore. Um, there was the, the Ty France home oh, yeah. run that, that Mullins robbed that you mentioned. There was one this week. Wasn't there. Um, it's, it feels like it's, I'll do some research, see if anybody tracks this. I know there is a stat about like determining whether a home run was actually robbed or not. There's like somebody who's figured out how to calculate that. I wonder if they also track. Anyway, I'll look into it. Um, but my pick for, I think, the game that I will look back on as the one that they should have won that they didn't, that made all the difference, was uh, against the Twins when Colton Wong hit a pinch-hit ninth-inning home run to take the lead, and then they ended up blowing it. Like, that one, to me, was like... It, it signified the absurdity of the early part of the season. Like, the things that were going well, like, had, we had no business <laughs> having them go well. And the things that were going poorly were just like, how are you losing a game when something like this has fallen into your lap? Like, just what a wasted opportunity. Right. And that was, like, really the story of the first half of the season. And why they're in the position they're in now is that they let so many opportunities pass them by. 
Well, here's the thing, and I, and I want to be careful about how we're framing this whole discussion because I think it's very easy to get in to to wallow in the woe is us kind of camp. But this happens to every team, even really good ones, like fifteen oh, absolutely. times. Absolutely, yeah. Um, the Mariners have had their fair share of wins that they should not have had. I'm thinking specifically the one with the with the ground rule double against Houston, <laughs> where if it wasn't a ground rule double, Houston would have won that game. Um, you know, there's like I'm sure they're kicking themselves over that one if they don't win the division. The one that cracks me up is the White Sox series where they uh, they lost a game where they were just so clearly the better team on Saturday, and then they ended up winning the game where Lance Lynn struck out sixteen Mariners. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it all it all happens and it all balances out. But well, do you remember I, the? Sorry to to go to remember some games last year. Uh, I think it was when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had the ball that that literally burst through his glove and that sure, cost yeah. them the game. And the Mariners probably I don't think statistically no they would have made the playoffs anyway um but that was probably a game where the blue jays were like oh my god how do we lose that game you know anyway sorry go on to what you were going to say yeah and that's why you need to play 162 games because that sort of thing happens in baseball i think more often than it happens in the other sports and so you like you need to play out the full season to really get a handle on things but um the reason the reason i'm picking the twins game is because like it was it did exemplify the first two-thirds of the season being wasted opportunities, right? Like, they were 50 and 50, and if they had played to their true talent level over those 100 games, they would not have needed to go on the insane run in in August, and they would not be in the position they're in where it feels like every one of these last 15 games feels like a must-win game. Agreed. And I have one other slate of games I wanted to point to. And this is way back. This is way, way back now. You got to go all the way back to Wednesday, April 26. But the Mariners lost to Philadelphia 6-5. to They lost again to Philadelphia 1-0. to They lost to Toronto 3-2. to And then they lost to Toronto 1-0 to in 10 innings. That's 0-4 by a margin of one run each game. I was at both of those Philly games. The first one was the one where J.P. Crawford hit a grand slam. Oh. And the second one was another George Kirby pitched eight innings of one run ball. Mm-hmm. And they just like could not, the offense could not get anything going. It was heartbreakers. And it all counts the same. You know, April feels like a lifetime ago, but it counts the same. And then that one of those two Blue Jay game, Blue Jays games was when Easton McGee was taking what, like a perfect game into like the seventh inning or something. Easton McGee. God bless you know? Easton McGee. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the greatest yeah. single outing Mariner careers of all time. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, Adrian Sampson would like a word. Is that who I'm thinking of? True. Adrian Sampson as well. And uh, I'm a big Adrian Sampson fan because as far as I know, he's the only major league pitcher from Skyline High School, which is where I graduated from. Wow. So, yeah. He, I've actually seen him pitch for Skyline before and uh, everybody knew he was going to be something. We weren't sure what, but we were sure he was going to be a thing. And he kind of hasn't been, but also sort of has. So that's it. Uh, making it to the major leagues is a thing. Yeah, he broke you in. You get to call yourself a broke thing. Broke out. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we love Adrian Sampson. Um, yeah, it's tough to look back on the season and feel like the Mariners couldn't have done more. You know what I mean? Like, especially the way that the offense was the first half of the season. I feel like there's a missed opportunity here and they they might yet make the playoffs and do so comfortably, right? Like there's a lot of pessimism here, but the truth of the matter is, is they might come in and 
spank Houston again, which they have done most of this year. And who knows? They could win against Texas. And they, you know, that nine game stretch after Oakland, they could potentially go six and three and make it look really easy. So, yeah, I mean, we we got a question about like what record do the Mariners need to to make the playoffs in these remaining 15 games? And I just think that's a little bit the wrong way to look at it because which games they win matters so much more. You know, if they go six and one against Texas, they could lose all the rest of them. And I think they'd still be okay. (laughs) But, or if they, you know, really handle the Dodgers over these next two games and like do what they need to do against Oakland and Houston, then it won't matter what they're doing against Texas either. So it's just at the point in the season where I, you know, I think it's a truly day-to-day sort of situation. That's part of what I think part of why the vibes are bad is that last night felt like such a, another missed opportunity because Texas and Houston both lost and the Mariners had a game that they halfway, you know, all the way up to the eighth inning, it felt like a winnable game. I don't feel like the Mariners have had many unwinnable games virtually all year. And we've talked about this the entire way is that, They've hardly been out of anything. We got the quote a couple of nights ago, even then when they lost, it's like they're going to be in it and they're going to bring the tying run or the winning run into the plate in the ninth inning. That's just what they've done. They're so close. Like they're just there. I think we can all feel that they are legitimately a good team. They are scraping greatness and they really are a transformational player or two away from being in that upper tier competitive constantly state of being and they just can't stay there with the the current apparatus that they've built in the current roster that they have are you otani baiting us right now you know we can talk about yeah, very pointed we can we can mention that a little bit because uh, zam bring it up from your perspective of thinking he's coming back to the angels and how you view that now i think that's important. <laughs> well okay so <laughs> right so the news we're referring to is that it was reported yesterday that shohei otani's locker had been cleaned out in anaheim and the team didn't have anything to say about it. They promised they would say something about it today. By the time this podcast comes out, I'm sure we'll have some clarity. But it sure doesn't seem like Shohei Otani is going to play again for the Angels. Um, right. My official <laughs> position for a very long time has been that Shohei Otani was going to resign with the Angels. And I know how that sounds, especially how it sounds today. But the reason it's been my official position for years is that the people started acting like there was a 0% chance he was going to go back to Anaheim years and years ago. And I just really like wanted to push back against that by like having an extreme take that like demanded your attention by saying like, no, I'm certain he's going to resign with Anaheim. Um, I think that the circumstances have obviously changed. The last two months have been, I think catastrophic for Otani's relationship with the angels oh my God. And just yeah. like the organizational health of that team. It's, it's getting to a point where you almost feel like, you know, rivalries are, are fun, but punching down isn't. And it's almost getting to the point where it feels like you're just punching down. Like nobody's like trash talking the A's this year, even though the Mariners and the A's have had like a lot of, you know, tough series over, over the years. Um, and it feels like the Angels are reaching that position. And it, I, I think the fact that Shohei got hurt, the fact that they put all those players on waivers, it's like waving the white flag, really felt bad. Um, but one thing I will say is, uh, you know, as despite my official position, I started like really thinking about what was going to happen as the Mariners were taking the world by storm in August and as they were holding the division lead for about a week a small part of my brain was like, somebody please help me. I'm starting to feel like this might actually happen. Somebody bring me back down <laughs> to earth. I cannot handle having my heart ripped out like that. I'm starting to think it might be possible, and I don't want to set myself up for that disappointment. What happened yesterday was helpful for that, because watching the Dodgers is just... I, I, just, I know. I had this personal thought. I didn't even connect it to Otani. I was just like, oh my God, why would you not want to be a Dodger? I forgot who it was who was at bat. It was Jason Hayward, right? Whose like career has been revived after being a mm-hmm. star and then struggling with the Cubs for all those years. And now he's good again, thanks to the Dodgers. And it's just top to bottom. Every single person in that organization is so competent. I'll tell and you like, why you wouldn't want to be a Dodger real quick. For, yeah, for as good as that. I've been with... I need that. Yeah. 
for as good as they are with hitters, they are not great with pitchers. Um, Development-wise, they are fine, but health-wise, they are not. And they love to mess around with, with pitchers and, like, their schedules, and they'll love to, like, phantom IL guys. I mean, famously, Kenta Maeda was, like, a very good talent who could not find his footing until they traded him to Minnesota. Um, I, I, You know, Walker Bueller has been like, will he ever be fully healthy? I have no idea. Like, when was the last time the Dodgers had, like, a homegrown or even, like, a, a really, really good starting pitcher that was, like, their guy? There's, an uncomfortable, Kershaw, obviously. There's an uncomfortable answer to that question. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Well, well, I mean, it's Julio Urias mm. who's got the domestic oh, violence issues that, that make him that's like true. But not he's also a had a lot example. of injuries too. I mean, he he's not been healthy all this time. Well, I mean, every pitcher has some injuries, right? Like everybody that's misses something. But I, I think that that's maybe the reason why you would hesitate. Also, does he want to stick around in the same town? I don't know. And I, I do want to speak briefly to the like. There's been a ton of swirling about the Red Sox recently because some NL executive said that he has a strong relationship with the New Balance CEO who's from Boston. To that, I will say like, let's not be so hasty to assume that he wants necessarily, you know, get his money where he get or get get his honey where he gets his money. Like, why would you want to tie your entire bag to Boston? Because what if that New Balance relationship falls through and now you're in his town? Like that could make things very difficult for him. I, I mean, plus you would have to live in Boston, and like that's just right. not a favor you should wish on anybody. <laughs> right. Like, let's not assume that that's like a oh my god, he's definitely going to go Boston because he's really close with the New Balance CEO. Like, I don't know that that's a great way to look at it because New Balance is not the Red Sox. He is not a part of the Red Sox organization just because he. Right? Is he? Is he? Or is he like a part owner of the Red Sox? As far as I, I know, mean, he's who not. Uh, you know, rich guys' portfolios are always so opaque. <laughs> that's fair who's to say. But I, I take your point. I, I feel like this is what has happened in the past is like every little connection gets like read to death. Yes. And, and once I mean, again, we have to the... go back to the fact that like Shohei has never actually talked about this. And so all of this is just reading implications and just like people passing rumors back and forth that are just like completely unfounded. All of it, including my own right. nonsense that I was spouting just now. Like, we have absolutely no idea what he's going to do, and right. uh, it's going to make for a very tense offseason because it's I mean, here's so the thing. high stakes. I'm, sh- I'm sure none of this stuff hurts. I'm sure it doesn't hurt that the New Balance CEO is in Boston. I'm sure it doesn't hurt that the Dodgers are really freaking good. I'm sure it doesn't hurt the Mariners have Ichiro, who like o- Otani idolized growing up. Like, I'm sure none of this stuff is a bad thing, but... I don't know how much it like, is it a one on the like good scale or is it like a 10 on the good scale? Like that's kind of a big deal. And we, we don't know that. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I think the only question I have where it comes to Shohei at this point is, does he sign sooner or later? Because this is going to be a really frustrating offseason if there are intense negotiations and this goes into January. I don't expect that. I kind of think that he will be quicker out of the gate and that they he will find a home probably by December at some point. But I don't really know because, you know, we've had very unpredictable offseasons the last couple of years. It felt like there was a flurry of activity early and in some cases because there was a little lockout. Um, kind of nothing for a while. And then a lot of players signed in January and there's been a lot of discord with the players who signed in January feeling like they couldn't get, you know, settled and in with their team when they wanted to. It's just kind of been a, a zoo over the last couple of years for lack of a better explanation. And he controls the way that this is all going to ebb and flow because he is the first, really the the most critical domino to fall. He's going to be worth as much as almost everybody else combined, right? It, it's not even, re- like, I think the metaphor is wrong. Like, it's not like he's the first domino to fall. Like he's, he's not a domino. Like he's so different from everything else. He like, is the market. So much depends on what he's going to do. And I, yeah. I agree. It's going to be frustrating in part because Jerry really likes to move early. He's always been, you know, the first to strike. He's, he likes to strike at the deadline before anybody else. Like he had to wait this year because the situation was so uncertain. 
But, um, you know, the Castillo deal last year was days before the deadline. And that's typically the kind of thing that happens on the day of the deadline, a deal like Castillo. And, um, you know, the 2018 rebuild, all of those moves were in November. Um, well, yeah, the, the Robbie Ray signing was pre-lockout. The Teoscar trade was in November. Like, yeah. The the Cattell Marte, uh, Mitch Haniger, Gene Segura, Taiwan Walker trade, famously while Kate was making Thanksgiving pie. Um, yeah. And... I think it's going to be true for like the entire industry that not a lot is going to happen until the Shohei card gets settled. But I think, I, I mean, you really get the sense that the Mariners are all in on this and they're going to have to wait because it's going to be so consequential what happens with him. I think that's going to be really, I, I, I don't, I sympathize for Jerry. If like, you know that he prefers to operate one way and he's going to be forced not to be able to do it. Can I can I shift the topic slightly, and maybe you guys will deem this is not even worth talking about. Um, but there, you know, after the Red Sox fired Heim Bloom as their general manager, there was a lot of belly aching on Twitter about whether Jerry Depoto was going to be poached by the Red Sox. And it, to my to what I could find, because I was like digging around to find out where this all came from, because I saw a lot of people referring to, oh, I'm seeing rumors that whatever, but. This happens all the time on Twitter where I see people reacting to the thing, but I can't find the original thing that like started it all. And for all I could see was like a 2015 tweet from from Buster Olney talking about how Jared Poto would be a good fit for the Red Sox at the time. This was, I think, this was before the Mariners hired Depoto. Well, yeah, so we think about Jerry as having come from the Angels because that was his GM job before he came to Seattle. But there was that interim period because he quit in like July and it was the Red Sox that he was working for during that interim period. Mm -hmm. So he has some relationships there that have been established. Right. I think that's really the nugget of it. Was there anything outside of that 2015 tweet from Buster Olney that was like stirring all this? No, No. I don't think there's like an actual thing that got said by anybody. It's just a a random tweet about it. There was a tweet about it, but it's not anyone of any kind of knowledge or reputation. It's just a a person. It's just, my impression was it was a Red Sox fan, frankly. So no. It was like if I had tweeted about it. Yeah, basically. (laughs) But I'm glad you brought it up though, because I I think it's interesting, especially as it comes to like the way we evaluate Depotal versus maybe what the market thinks of him. And I don't, obviously I just said this is not coming from a reputable source. So we're not sitting here like, ooh, the the insiders are really speculating about Depotal to the Red Sox. No, but it's interesting that after the last two years, he is a desired commodity to some degree at least, because I, I still think that there are real questions about especially the major league roster. You know, we like it's very established that we can develop players at this point, that, the, that we believe DePoto and the, the infrastructure he's put together, the, the baseball system that he has built can at least do that much, can develop pitchers, can draft guys and, and get them through the minor leagues and put them into the show. Can they find success there? Well, it's more of a mixed bag and it's still an incomplete, Grade because we're still doing this rebuild and the first three, five years of it are, are a very different chapter of that story. So I think that if you were to ask Mariner fans what they think of DePoto and his desirability to be somewhere else kind of and, and, and take over a different team, I, th- I think two things. One, I think they're probably overrating how desired he is in the market, frankly. And two, I think that I don't know if he's getting a better deal anywhere because Seattle is kind of a sweet place to have this job. And I, it, you've had more than one applicant for this job come out before and say that Seattle is quietly a dream job. You have a lot of control. You have relatively little oversight. You have the media landscape is extremely friendly, team friendly. Like it's much more hostile. If you're going to go to Boston, you have a lot more people in your business, frankly. And Jerry DePoto has had a very cushy, very stable job here for a very long time. I don't really see any reason to expect him to want to get rid of that to try again. Right. Am I wrong? I, why would you give up when you're on the precipice of completing the project? It, right. it, it feels like abandoning ship too early. Like they are so close to getting over the finish line. Do you really want like somebody else to be raising the commissioner's trophy? When, well, when it, uh, let, let me finish. Right. So like he's partway through is one thing. It, 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 it would feel like a sense of incompleteness. I think I, that's how I would feel about it. Number two, the situation you'd be inheriting in Boston is a little bit of a mess with ownership yeah. that doesn't want to spend and fan expectations of where they are going to spend. Like, I mean, the Mariners fan base is like <laughs> unhappy about that. The Red Sox fan base is all is so much more unhappy about that and frankly has better reason for it because 
it's the third most valuable franchise. And the like situation of what your organization looks like, the Mariners are in a very good spot. And they're in a very good spot because of Jerry Depoto. So like it, walking out on 23-year-old Julio Rodriguez and this rotation that you put together and the minor leagues like being in a very good position given that all of the best talent also just graduated and you've like put together a new wave entirely. It just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. What I think is actually more likely is at some point Justin Hollander is going to want to be the man in charge. And I actually think like if anybody's likely to leave the Mariners organization to be the Red Sox GM, I think it would be much more likely to be Justin Hollander than Jerry Depoto, who, I mean, they seem to have a very good relationship, but um, I don't think you can be ambitious enough to get to where Justin Hollander has gotten himself to without also being ambitious enough to want to be the guy at some point. Yeah, I actually was just going to say the reverse, which is that if DePoto went to the Red Sox, I would feel okay about the Mariners situation because we have Justin Hollander, and I feel like he is in a he's in a decent position to take over the reins from DePoto if that had to happen. Um, so I wouldn't be like hitting the panic button if if DePoto left because of that, because I, I do feel like Hollander has has displayed his competency um, in the last several years. But and this has been said, you know, this was said when. Um, who is it? Max Wiener, who went to Texas A&M and the people were like, Oh my God, the pitching development is all screwed now. And well, first of all, we've seen, we've now seen enough results in the minor leagues to disprove that notion. I think in the last couple of months, we've seen a number of pitchers have pretty good, uh, pretty good ends of their minor league seasons. But also, you know, I don't think the Mariners developmental organization or their organizational philosophy is that fragile at this moment where losing one person is just going to topple the whole Jenga tower. I think that they have set themselves up in a, in a position where it's not just one person who's responsible for all these things. And it's kind of like a, a full, a philosophical thing, or they have many different, many different hands in the, you know, in the cauldron, so to speak, that are responsible for, for putting this all together. So I, for that reason, I also would not be as, panicked if, if DePoto himself left. I would respond to that by saying my concern would be that if DePoto was to leave, some of it would be a package deal. It's very unlikely he would leave and, and take mm-hmm. no other employees with him whatsoever. Right. I think that especially like who's the uh, the mental skills coach? I, f- I forget his name. Um, M- Andy McKay. Andy McKay. Yeah, I think Andy McKay would be like an obvious candidate to go if DePoto did. And while Wild. This is I'm completely pulling this out of thin air. But um, once upon a time when Jerry DePoto was hired and he was the first and only hire, uh, it was speculated that a different I want to say it was. uh, It was Billy Epler. No, what I'm going to say is they had speculated that Scott Service was in line for front office duty and that they they wanted the the, at the time, Texas Rangers bench coach, I believe. And again, I'm blanking on his name. Tim Boger. Tim Boger was was predicted to be the Mariners manager and they wound up having him be the third base coach or the first base coach instead. Bench coach. Yeah, bench coach and Scott Service got hired. I don't think it's out of the question that Scott Service, and again, I don't mean now because again, same reasons as DePoto, he's too invested to get off the train at this point, but there will probably come a time where he wants to do something else. And I could see him being a GM or AGM or candidate somewhere. Um, I don't think that's out of the round of possibility. That's not, again, this is not for today. I think the Mariners are very invested in where they are today, but I do want to pivot this because we got a question about the future and we're talking about the future, right? We're talking about whether or not Jerry DePoto would be sticking around and kind of what the future landscape looks like. And we got a question from Aubrey, which is maybe this is a bit early, but what does the ALS look like in 24, 25? It seems like maybe the Astros should fall off. Is Texas sustainable? Man, those are, uh, I struggle with both of those and I want to hear what you guys think, but my immediate impression is that Houston is too deep and too competent to just disappear. They're unlikely to be bad. I could see them being more Mariners in that they might be just less good overall, but I don't think they're disappearing. Texas, I have more questions about because they are a more veteran built team. And even if I think Corey Seager is likely to be good, he's been injured a lot. Marcus Simeon, the future is a little uncertain for him and their pitching staff is much more nebulous today than it was even two months ago. So what do you guys think about the future for those two teams in particular? Um, I think both of those teams made pretty big mistakes when they traded for Justin Berlander and Max Scherzer at the deadline and preferred to give up big prospects than to pay those guys salaries. 
Um, but I am much more worried about Houston's future than about Texas's future. And it's for the reasons that you said the pitching in Texas is, I think, very precarious. And I don't see a lot that's going to fix that. And at some point, they're going to run out of money to spend. Um, I think Marcus Simeon's still going to be good over the next two years. Corey Seager is still going to be good over the next two years. Like they are on the older side and Simeon's even older than Seager, but like they're still in, you know, just because they're over 30 doesn't mean they're going to suddenly stop being good. It's like, you know, 35 is when you really start to worry when you're talking about players of that caliber. Um, and Josh Young turns out to be good. Uh, Evan Carter is going to be a real problem. Jonah Heim, I think has, has turned it around. Like, there's there's definitely something real going on in Texas, but that pitching is just, I mean, it's a it's a disaster, I think, and it, they've been playing over their heads this year. But I mean, I don't think Degrom's going to be around for most of next year. Scherzer, who knows what he is when he's even healthy at this point. Um, and then then you're talking about guys, you know, like what Martin Perez again. You know, John Gray has looked bad, and Eovaldi has looked bad, and I never really believed in what Eovaldi was doing. Uh, so I, they don't have the money to fix it, and they're in trouble. Houston, you know, I didn't know that it was going to be Chaz McCormick that they turned into a guy I had barely heard of into an all-star this year, but I knew they were going to do it with somebody because their player development is just that good and has a track record that long. Um, so on top of maintaining that incredible core of, of Altuve, Bregman, uh, Tucker and Alvarez, like they just, they just spin straw into gold on such a regular basis that like, even if you can't point to the names, you know, it will continue to happen because it's a demonstrated competency at this point. But I think of all three teams looking at, 2024, 2025 as like a package of two years. I do think the Mariners are in the best position of the division of any team. So I, I will uh, echo your sentiments on the Rangers being uh, their lineup is just going to be super scary and their pitching is not. And I, I do want to add that like they really flubbed the two major pitching picks they recently made in the draft. Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker. Rocker just can't stay healthy and also hasn't been good. Leiter is in his he's repeating double A this year. And his ERA is still 5.17. He is still walking five and a half batters per nine innings. Like that, those problems are not going away. They, they, they've tried to like change his delivery from what I saw. I think I saw some, you know, pitching analysts break down the changes. I don't know if that, if that's going to be enough to like make him an ace again. I think he's kind of in like, in like an Emerson Hancock situation where at this point, the expectations for him have to be significantly lowered based on, you know, the, the track record to this point over two full seasons in double A. Um, so, yeah, I'm not worried about the, the Rangers. And you make a good point about, like, at what point are they still going to have money to spend on starting pitching? Like, they are they are a clear candidate to, like, go out and get Lucas Giolito this, this offseason. But is that going to be enough to turn around their staff? And even Giolito hasn't been very good, you know, all season. He had a great outing his last, uh, his last well, start yesterday. And Giolito seems like a guy who, if I was his agent, I would want him to take a pillow contract with a team that does good things with pitching oh, like the and try and hit the mark. Yeah. yeah. And then try and hit the market again the next year. Right. Yeah. I think it's a good point. The Astros I'm more scared of on the aggregate. I agree because they are, they have young, good players on both sides of the ball. Like, Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, uh, Luis Garcia just had TJ, but he should be back next uh, in like the middle of next season. Um, that's like a very solid core to work from. Hunter Brown might be might be a dude, um, and yeah, they never they never stop hit, like developing these these guys. And then the hitters, like they have Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker, who are both younger than me. So <laughs> that that's going to be a problem for a long, long time. Alex Bregman is only going to be 30 next year. Like I, I think of him as being a lot older than that, but he's only going to be 30 years old. Altuve will be 34. So I'm a little bit worried. You know, if I'm an Astros fan, I'm a little bit worried about him falling off, I guess. But that's still a, a strong core of, of, you know, of hitters that are going to cause problems in the division. Um so I'm definitely more worried about them. I'm worried about both, but I think it will obviously, to Zach's point, be like a three-horse race again next year, and maybe more clearly than it was this year, because for a while it wasn't clear that it was a three-horse race until recently. Um, but I think all that 
all that goes out the window if one of these three ta- these three teams signs Otani. Like that that team, I think becomes a clear favorite for for twenty four and twenty five, and that and it, it really could be any of these three teams that that does that, you know. And we've talked about how he could go anywhere, but he feels like a prime candidate to go to the Rangers also as, as low as we maybe to think about that. Like that would, I would that be is furious. A real possibility. I'd be yeah, absolutely I'm furious. Not. Yeah. My, my nightmare is Otani going to the Astros, but you know, it, anything in the division would just, I, I I'm speechless. <laughs> I can't even engage with it. <laughs> I think it is more likely he goes to the Rangers and I don't know if that's better or worse than if he goes to the Astros, but I, yeah, it's, it's not a, it's not a fun thought exercise, but it certainly would change the answer to this question right um so i think that that is it's it's one of those things where like we can't really we can't really talk about next season until we know where otani lands and we kind of talked about this in the last segment like (laughs) it is impossible to talk about the landscape of baseball without knowing where he is um because if he's in arizona or if he's in the Bronx or if he's in Texas, like those are three totally different narratives for, for the outcome of not only the Mariners, but of baseball in general next year. McDougal bats. McDougal bats is a bend Oregon based baseball and softball bat company family owned. They are big Mariners fans and they build baseball bats and softball bats that are fantastic to use for your own league. If you have kids that are getting into their seasons now, I think we're in at this point, you know, we are approaching summer ball. I know at least in the Seattle area, we're, we're sort of in the midst of the high school seasons and, and middle school seasons. But if you have wood bat leagues, those typically get started around Memorial Day, at least for baseball. I think it is very worthwhile. Uh, one of the big perks on a McDougal bat is that they have a longer sweet spot and they are designed to last for really as long as you keep swinging that bat. Though they are not a composite bat, they essentially are incredibly sturdy. They are not liable to break on you. I actually have now a McDougal bat that I am excited to be cracking open this coming weekend, getting into games. So I'm I'm excited to track my stats here. If you go to McDougal Bats, that's M-A-C-D-O-U-G-A-L-L bats.com and order a bat. If you use the discount code G-O-M-S, that's GOMS, you will get $15 off your order and we will be very pleased. We'll get a little extra bonus from that as well. So go check them out. And obviously the best case scenario for the Mariners is that if he doesn't sign here, he signs with Pittsburgh or Milwaukee or somebody else. We only play once every three years, so they won't have to see him anymore. And that would be not ideal, but we would live with it because it would be less painful than what we've dealt with. But I want to pivot us to the last question for today. I think it's a great question because, you know, frankly, we we're in the weeds a lot on this podcast, especially with Kate and John. Um, We're very Mariner centric, very in the weeds, very, you know, in the details. But we got a question from Isabel. Just got into baseball last year, uh, kind of a blindly becoming a Mariners fan. Haven't been to a game yet. What are some of the ballpark etiquette rules that aren't obvious or you wish some more people followed? I think that's a great question. And it's really nice to do a question for somebody who isn't asking about the the differences between Mariner relief pitchers, right? Like, because we get, and I feel bad because those are the kinds of questions that I ask, you know, like, is it Bizarro or Thornton that's going to pitch in such and such situation? But it's nice to go kind of a little more macro and and not quite so focused in the, in the weeds like that. I didn't have a great answer to this, but I think that if you come from other sports, baseball does have a different cadence. I think especially compared to something like football, which is very, do or die and very riding the roller coaster constantly. I think baseball is a much more measured sport, especially when you go to, when you go to a Seahawks game, the expectation is that you are allowed and that you are very engaged with the game that you are, you know, you're, you're making noise when the team is on defense, you're quiet when the team is on offense, you have some understanding of kind of those etiquettes. Baseball is much more laid back. Baseball people are there to have a beer, experience the food, maybe watch the game kind of if it's really interesting. You know what I mean? It's it's a much less high pressure cooker situation as far as pressure to both be paying attention to the product on the field and to just understand stuff about it. It's a more friendly, casual 
family environment in those respects. And I think that that's kind of why I like baseball, because if it isn't a good game, you can enjoy the food. And if it's a great game, you can tune all the way in. I think that's the beauty of it. But what did you guys think about this question? Yeah, I think it uh, and you make a good point. Like, I feel like I on the aggregate pay less attention to the game when I'm at the game than when I'm watching the game on television. And it's partially because of the crowd that you end up going with. And it, it depends on the crowd you're going with. Right. Like when I went with Zach to the, to the Orioles game, we were locked in. But that's because we're, we're huge baseball nerds, both of us. And that's what we're there for. But for a lot of people going to the baseball game is, is more like a um, kind of like a conduit for, for social interaction. And that's just like the medium and, and a lot of the time you just end up talking through the whole game about life and your kids and your work and your whatever, you know, um, and that ends up just like taking your attention away from the ball game. And a lot of times I'm cool with that, right? Like if I'm going to a game with with college buddies or, you know, if I'm going with, with family or whatever, like you kind of expect that you're not going to be locked into every pitch of the game because you're talking about things. And that's uh, that I think is probably different from football. Although, to be honest with you, I've never been to an NFL game in my life and I've only ever been to one college football game in my life. So I'm probably not the great, the best person to speak on that, but um, it is, a, it is a unique atmosphere. One like piece of etiquette, I will say. Um, and this is something that bothers me that like, I'm shocked how few people follow it. Um, but it's not to get up or, or like go to or from your seat during an at bat. Right. And th- this happens all the time where like someone will be like trying to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of, of an at bat and you miss a pitch. So the, the etiquette that you're supposed to do is you're supposed to, if you're going to get up from your seat, do it between batters or uh, during an inning break, obviously. And if you're going to go back to your seat, like if you're holding like a beer and a hot dog, wait until the batter is done with their at bat and then start walking down the stairs or start walking up the stairs as the case may be um, because otherwise you're blocking people's view potentially of, of, of the game. But there are very few people that follow this etiquette. So like, like no one's ever, I don't think anyone's going to yell at you if you screw that up. But like I, it certainly irks me when people don't obey that, I guess. That's the one that I was, that was the thing that came to mind when I saw this question too. And I do feel like that etiquette is, has been slipping over the years. I feel like it was more closely followed earlier. And I think some of it is that the ushers are, like there used to be a little bit of enforcement from the ushers that would yes. like not let you go down the stairs in the middle of the at bat. And I feel like that has slipped as well. Um, so, okay. So you covered that. I guess the other thing I would say is um, different parts of the stadiums have different standards for your boorishness. And I think no matter what your boorishness level is, like the level at which you need to be, okay with what's going on around you, I think differs like in Yankee stadium is famous for this. The bleacher creatures out in right field are, I mean, they are belligerent in the true meaning of that word. Like they are bearing war. And if you go in there, like you need to be fully prepared to listen to a lot of extremely offensive language, running the gamut of what about it is offensive. And, if you are not wearing Yankees gear, you need to be prepared to physically defend yourself. And I think like, that's not really true on, you know, down the first baseline in the 100 level. And like, I, I know mean, there's like some classes. In, is that true anywhere in Seattle? Maybe not in Seattle. I, I'm, you know, I've been to one game in the last 15 years at, at T-Mobile Park. I don't know, but I've been to a lot of other stadiums and it is like, I picked the extreme example of New York, but it is true across baseball that like, different parts of the stadium, it's going to be a different vibe. And you sort of need to, if you're like going with a kid and you don't want an eight year old to hear awful things, like scout that out a little bit before you buy your tickets. Um, And then if you are uh, going to an opposing stadium, if you're not going to see the Mariners at T-Mobile park, it's common or traditional for a lot of opposing fans to sit behind the, behind their own team's dugout. So, like, uh, if, you know, if you were a Dodgers fan, you would want to get tickets behind the third base dugout. Um, and that, I think, is a nice way to be around, like, a friendlier crowd. It's like a, it's a common understanding that helps ensure that you're not going to be singled out and yelled at the way that you can be if you're the only person rooting for the other team in a different section. Um, so that's something to think about. And especially if you're not in Seattle and, like, you only get to see the Mariners once, like, it's a little easier to splurge for those seats because you're not spending quite as much money going to baseball. Um, yeah, that, 
that's what happened to you and Isaac when we went to the Nationals. We sat behind the Mariners dugout, and it was like the that vast majority of the section was Mariners fans, and it was awesome. Yeah, I mean that was one of the best experiences I've ever had at uh, uh, watching a Mariners game at an opposing stadium. I also caught that ball from JP. That's right, and then some kid made you give it to him. Well, <laughs> Gu- guilted I mean... you into giving it to him. <laughs> It was his birthday, and we had heard that it was his birthday before I caught the ball. So this was not like That's a fair. lie, you know. I, what are you? Supposed no, to it's get? true. Yeah, no, have to get the ball up. I'm, you know, I. That's. that's I guess. I guess I was salty because I've never caught a, a foul ball, and now that I've aged out of childhood, I feel like I've lost my opportunity. And I remember very specifically an instance where I was bearing down on a foul ball, and there was an older man bearing down the same foul ball from the other direction. He grabbed it. I was like, probably twelve years old. He looked up at me, didn't give it to me, walked away. And I was like, well, if, if the etiquette is to give it to a kid, why didn't I get the ball then? And now I'm like, kind of, I've, I've, I've carried that with me on my life where I'm like, all right. So it's, you know, the kid doesn't need the ball. Then, I guess. Well, because some kids are terrible, Durs. I, I went to an Orioles twins game in Minnesota and I, uh, I went to see batting practice and I caught a Manny Machado. Like it wasn't a home run because it was batting practice, but a Manny Machado home run. Like that was very cool. And this kid, like, he was very cute and he asked me if he could have it. And I was like, you know, sure. And then it turned out that kid had like four balls from batting practice that he'd like collected as I like realized when he like went back to his parents and I was so mad about it. So, you know, some kids are just terrible, but it is the etiquette. If you're an adult and you catch the catch a ball and there's a kid, give it to the kid. That kid hustled you. That's hilarious. Oh yeah. No, I felt like a chump. I mean, and in Minnesota of all places, like that reputation, I, you know, Oh, I was so mad about that. He wasn't even an Orioles fan who like the Manny Machado ball would have meant more to. I'm I remain furious about that situation. That's I want to sidebar real I want to sidebar real quickly on uh did you guys see when uh Suarez hit the home run yesterday, that guy who like leaned over with a bear oh, in his hand God. and made the one-handed catch barehanded? I wanna say so after that happened, my girlfriend Ariana, she was in the room with me and she goes we just saw that man's life change forever because (laughs) that man is now going to mention this to every person he meets at every party he goes to for the rest of his life. And he, and she's like, there was, there was before the catch and there was after the catch for this man's life. And we just saw it happen. (laughs) I mean, yeah. And it was that good. I did want to bring it back to what Zach said about the different parts of the stadium, having a different vibe. If you go to a Mariners game and you want to like chill, um, buy just a seat and intend to sit in it like outfield infield kind of doesn't matter. But if you want to do a more social thing, especially at T-Mobile park, like the bullpen is where a lot of, especially the college and kind of younger adults go to do the standing room only drinking, you know, beers are half price before the game there. Uh, so everybody goes and, you know, gets beer for $5 instead of 1250 kind of a deal. That's more of the rowdy section. And then as a general rule of thumb, the cheaper the tickets are, the drunker the people are, right? That's just, it's just sort of how it works. If you go into the, you know, the, 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 like, like Zach said, the bleacher sections, even at T-Mobile Park, like those people paid $10 for a ticket with intending to spend more on food and alcohol than they did on the actual seat. And that's totally cool. Like that's part of the experience, but it is different from, you know, people who are in the 100 sections or the 200 sections and are paying much more attention. And I've been fortunate this year and last year, my brother-in-law, uh, works for, I believe, Farmers Insurance, and they have uh, a suite. So we've gotten to use the the Terrace Club sections, and those are really nice. If you know, if you can swing it, obviously, I am not paying for that, so I'm not affording it. So it's easy for me to say that that's great. Um, but what's fun about that in particular is they give you the screen in front of you, so you can eat your food at a table, which is really nice. But you can also watch the game on the the feed and see where the pitches are with um, you know, the pitch radar and all that kind of stuff right in front of you. And that is a really wonderful viewing experience. So I highly recommend that. One of the things that even you guys have said before is like, you can't really tell much about the way a pitcher is throwing live just because of the angle you're at. You're, you know, you're relying on the other senses that the the screens and whatnot to tell you that information. Um, the, the terrace clubs is a, is a better way to get a good gauge of that while you're live. So You've got some options. Obviously, it depends on how much you want to spend. I'm not going to lie. T-Mobile Park is not cheap. It is expensive to go there. Zach? Yeah, the talking about like where to sit, this isn't so much an etiquette thing, which I think is like what we've mostly been talking about. But if you've never been to a baseball game before, I cannot recommend enough. If it's a day game, find where the shade is. Like, think yeah. about the sun and what time the game is and how the stadium is oriented. And 
I, there is truly no limit to the amount of money that I will pay to ensure that I'm sitting in the shade. Yep. That's a great, great call. And also I will say like the, the, the like chillest place or like the, the like neutralist place to sit is probably like the upper, upper level, uh, either first base side or third base side, but not like super nosebleedy, like the lower rows, I would say. And like that, you get a great vantage point. It's a, it's a little bit less expensive than like the lower bowl. It's a pretty chill atmosphere. You know, you can get a good sense of the game. I think that's like, that's kind of my go-to is like in the, at, at T-Mobile, I think it's a 300 section. Um, like the lower rows of the 300 section. Agreed. Um, anything else on this or, or just in general today, guys, I know we have what 14, 15 more games of baseball, including today, um, playing an afternoon game on a Sunday. Anything else for today? Or should we wrap it here? I'm good. I, I think All we're right. good. I mean, go M's, right? Go Mariners. Yeah. I'm Evan James. You can find me on Twitter at Evan James Audio. You can find Anders at Anders Jorstad. You can find Zach at Real Zach Mason. Use the code GOMS. GOMS at checkout for McDougal bats. If you want to get a McDougal bat, I know John has been swinging those in softball and at uh, the Mariners charity game. So by all means, check those out. If you want to be the home run champion of your little league, get a McDougal bat. Again, that code is GOMS. Um, we will be back. My apologies that we missed the earlier pod this week. I had a separate engagement and we just, uh, I, I think that Kate wound up going to the Mariners charity auction or something to that effect as well. So it just didn't line up for us this week, but we'll be back uh, probably Monday or Tuesday. And as always, we, the three of us will be back next weekend to chat as always go Mariners um, home stretch here, guys. I'm excited. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.